Welcome to Lost Link, the podcast with Muff Barber and Yogi Nickerson, where CL data is disabled and no topic is off limits about unmanned aircraft or the United States Air Force. The views expressed in this podcast are solely those of the participants and do not represent the United States Air Force, the Department of Defense, or any other federal agency. This podcast contains some profane language and is not suitable for all audiences. I was uh, in the backseat of an F-16, and getting there was kind of a pain in the ass. Uh, like, just to get like getting there physically, or getting there through like, their checklist of all the things, all the checklist shit that you had to do. Okay. And because I'm a slack ass, I had to do, I had to work a back like work a couple people. Like, oh, hey man, yeah, I'm sorry, I missed that appointment. Um, okay. I don't know. Just keep me on the list. And, uh, like if that's, if that's the case, if that's all I get out of this thing, cool. I recognize that I, you know, miss some stuff. Uh, and, uh, the guy on the other end was like, all right, okay, no, 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 no. Like, let me, let me talk to the flight doc. Cause that was what I was missing. I was missing the, uh, the flight physical. I had to tell him, I was like, yo dog, I have a flying class one that I passed two months ago. I am absolutely fit enough to go fly in an F-16. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, I talked to the flight doc and she was like, it's, 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 it's very different. Okay. It's not. Yeah. It's not. The only, the only thing she had to do was measure my seating height and my the leg, length of my legs. Was, I thought she was going to measure something else. No, but she still like measured like my breathing and asked me if I was on any medications. I was like, just look at my flight physical from two months ago. Yeah. But anyway, she did me a solid because I wasn't able to make the, the appointment. And so she fit me in uh, on at 7.30 the day before. Like, So yeah. I had to show up early to work and all this fun stuff. And I, you know... Paid her back with a bottle. Uh, Is this the flight doc you mentioned earlier? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so, so I had to jump through that hoop. And then immediately after that, this is the day before I'm supposed to fly. I had to go down the hall to AFE. And they're like fitting me up with a flight suit and all this stuff. And <laughs> the G-suits. You're, you're most hated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they're, and they're, and they're, and they're, they're like time me and i'm having a good time with the with the afe folks you're like oh i'm being pulled back into the dude this whole time this world of uh so so then and then <laughs> later that day i also had to go to egress training and then like flight physio and then there was like survival of this is all the day prior this is all the day prior <laughs> um very annoying but you know everybody like did a solid and it all worked out you need to experience real air power though yeah, so it's worth it. But after all that shit, I still had to go do an uh, evaluate on an EPE into, yeah, the, into yeah. the evening. But okay. <laughs> so long day. But I came home, went to sleep, um, woke up actually kind of dreading what I was going into. It was like putting on that mask and putting on like I <sighs> the the smell of the mask. Yeah. And the, like the pressure on your face and stuff reminds me of UPT, okay. which was not a great time, right? So there's there's this little anxiety. Um, okay. I did six and a half G's of UPT, basically maxing out the T six at the the bottom of a loop. Yeah, and uh, I did not enjoy that. Of course, I was probably not pulling, like, executing the 
NIG straining maneuver very well because no. I'm also flying the airplane. Yeah. Um, so I'm thinking about flying and I'm not thinking about squeezing my ass and my, my abs all in concert to keep my shit from graying out. Right. Well, a lot but, of people uh, fake the fucking G strain in the T6 anyway. A yeah. lot of studs do. What do you mean fake? They like, just sit in the back and go. <laughs> oh, you're in the front. And you, yeah, whatever. Whatever. Yeah. C train. Right? Oh, I just made noises. Because yeah. I, I didn't care. And I never, it didn't really affect me too much at like six G's or so. Dude, that, my vision would gray at six. Uh, yeah. Um, but even if, dude, even at four G's, that's just not comfortable. That's not, yeah, it's not enjoyable. And after a lifetime of doing that shit, that's why fighter pilots' backs are all fucked up and, you know, uh, and they're all a train wreck. Yeah. I don't know. As a, used to taking abuse from like rugby and wrestling and stuff. So I'm just like, this is another day at the office, just getting fucking pounded. <laughs> I that that, that that is that is not my jam. Yeah, but, so like, yeah, and I knew this, and I was like, you know what? All right, we're doing it for the. But glory. from a meta level, I was like, I will be very disappointed with myself if I had the opportunity in thirty years from now. I'm like, shit, I should have gotten in an F sixteen, yeah. right? So I was like, well, all right, let's roll. Um, so I show up the. Showtime is at nine. And that's supposed to be like a noon takeoff. So there's brief and, you know, go get dressed and then step it on, you know, 11, whatever, uh, so that you can make your noon takeoff. Turns out uh, the students or fam flights are this not tastes like honey, like straight up. Yeah. John, John's trying a thing called Viking blood. It's a honey wine. And, uh, yeah, it tastes like honey. I told him it's not that great, and so I still have it. I kind of um, like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you show up at 9, and that morning I learned, that, like, oh, anybody on a fam flight is not authorized back into these uh, CVN vaults. Okay. It's like, okay, so I can't go to the brief? Okay. I have a security clearance uh, and TSSCI and all that. Well, you're not right into this program, like, Okay. All right, bro. You're just going to go drop the same types of bombs that I drop. <laughs> it's like, okay, whatever. Cool. I'm going to go back and hang out and bullshit with my friends for a bit, and then I'll be back over here to get dressed. So I go and do that, and I come back, and uh, this is like the first time I've worn a flight suit in like since 2018. Yeah, you um, felt the difference. And everybody was like, oh. whoa, it's weird seeing you in a flight Dude, suit. Dude, I would have I yeah. been all over you. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have been fucking chirping your ass the entire time. Uh, I looked good. Um, well, not not for that. Just, <laughs> yeah, you're caving your your values. No, I'm wearing I'm wearing the duty uniform of somebody who flies in one of those airplanes. Mm-hmm. Right. That felt good. Eh, I don't know. I felt didn't, the power. I didn't like it. Felt the There's power. There's no power. This patches are all colorful. Felt, like felt the difference. Clown colors. I like the colorful patches. Fuck yeah. Well, anyway. So I'm wearing that thing, and uh, like my my instructor or my uh, the dude in the front seat of my F-16D model, the pilot, uh, the instructor for the student, he comes out and we're chit chatting a bit, and he's talking about ah, you didn't really miss anything. It was mostly just like you know Frody stuff, and I can see him. He's like, well, it's you know it's, it's like how we're going to coordinate. I'm like, oh, you mean formation, roll ordinance, timing, ingress, egress, sort? And he looks at me like, uh, yeah. <laughs> and I wanted to tell, I was like, over here in the RPA community, we've, we've, fl- we've flipped that to Frosty. Uh, and then we also just do a ties brief, and I didn't want to, like, go down into this into this hole. But it turns out this dude used to be a flight commander at the 17th. 
Okay. And he's now a, a reservist down here. Um, okay. Cool as hell. Uh, sting, sting coal. So sting coal. Um, yeah. Sweet. <laughs> yeah. Pretty sweet. Um, so we go out and we, we get into this jet and it's, it's fun, dude. The camaraderie is real. Like yeah. you can feel like they have a different vibe yeah. in those squadrons. Dude, I showed up and the, the secretary for the squadron is a, the former, she used to be the secretary for the wing commander. Like when I first took this CAG job and she, I, I don't know if she does this for everybody, but I walked in she's like, oh, Muff, did you get any stickers or anything? I was like, no. She's like, come with me. She gave me a Friday patch, the patch, the lanyard, the pencil tab, and an entire sheet of fucking 314th stickers. Zaps. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just like, I mean, in an RPA squadron, that would have been like, that'll be 45 bucks, please. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? She just... Well, they, they pay dues. Yeah, and big dues, monthly right? Monthly dues. I'll bet, you, and I'll bet you they pay a $314 landing fee. Dude, they're, they're talking about dues... For our for, for our booster squadron. club and stuff, yeah. Yeah, I was like, yeah, good luck with that mm-hmm. for for RPA squad. Yeah, good luck. Yeah, I was like, I be- everything. I I love all that stuff about fighter squadrons. Yes, uh, I'm I'm down to make RPA squadrons right. more like that. It's never going to happen from the camaraderie. Point Not of happening. View. Never happening. Or to try to not m- happening. Get closer. Nope. Well, you can. And I'll tell you why. You can get a little closer. Nope. Not going to happen. Well, some some of the things because where because all that stuff derives. I I agree that there's in like s- rowdy roll calls and stuff like that. Sure, right? like yeah, sure. I'm saying, Icing it's, on the it's, cake. It's very limited. But what is that based on? Yes, I know. Right? So when like I got into this F-16, like I'm sitting in the back. There's a whole go of people, right? There's eight F-16s leaving out of the squadron at basically the same time. Yeah, and you flow out, boom, you two's coming out, and then you're. You're going into the end of the runway to go into arming and stuff, and there's yeah. a team of, you know, the 314th AMU. Like, yeah. they only arm and de-arm 314th airplanes. Yeah. And you know those maintainers. And watching, like, the pilot interaction with the yeah. the crew chief and stuff, it's, we're not going to achieve that aspect of it. And then there's eight F-16s all lined up next to each other. Yeah. And there's a dude in the front Be- of them. Beautiful, yeah. Yeah, and then as you're you're the first flight going out, so you taxi past them all, and you're seeing all these dudes in their cockpits. And you're and it's signaling like, them. It's yeah, like, goddamn, right. we're on our way out to fucking win the war right now. You know yeah. what I mean? That's yeah. the way it feels. Um, well, that's the reason math squadrons feel like an airport terminal. Yeah. You know, and it all comes back to this, like, core experience. Yeah. Right. So... F-16 accelerates like a motherfucker. Okay. <laughs> Holy shit. It is very impressive. Um, but then we just did this, like, lazy turning egress because there's a bunch of Academy uh, gliders here right now. And they're oh, okay. they're doing, like, 75 sorties a day or something out of Alamogordo. Shit. Uh, right. <laughs> so they're taking up some airspace, like, right around Shout the Shout out airfield. to Academy. Fuck yeah. yeah. And uh, so we did this Gliding lazy, team. like... Soaring, the soaring team, up. I believe, is what it's called. Yes. It's not whatever. Yes. <laughs> we called we called we called everybody on the soaring team uh, Melvins because uh, they're all nerds oh. <laughs> at the academy. <laughs> Us sports players were <laughs> were the ones, yeah, Melvins. So we went out. We we <laughs> we entered the range from the north because we flew over Cloudcroft and then into the range at like fourteen thousand feet. Uh, so we went to the CFA. Okay, super small. For an F-16, moving yeah. at 400 knots, like they're constantly just hugging the borders, hugging the borders. Hey, I'm going to go down here, hug the borders so we can turn in and, you know, make this attack. And uh, What what profile were you guys doing? We were doing just a PGM. So the goal, the 
Jet I was in had one GBU 12 and the student had two and they were doing, you know, basically shooter cover and cover shooter tactics. Okay. So it was, it's all self-laced shit with a goalie option, right? Sweet. Um, and we go, we drop our first one off the IP's jet and he gets it like a Gimdis. I don't know what they call it in the, yeah, but his lightning pod, lightning, lightning pod. Yeah. Slips off the target and starts, you know, kind of spinning, getting weird. Uh, so he's like, Oh shit. Goalie, goalie, goalie. Uh, and two calls lazing. We never see where the bomb impacted. Classic. Just, just because of fighter or just no. because of the gimdis? I don't know. Probably no idea. Okay. Honestly, no idea. Um, so, all right, cool. The IP briefs up the next attack. He's like, all right, dude, this is going to be cover shooter. You know, one by GBU 12 off your aircraft, blah, 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 blah. Going after the same target. That all goes fine. But while we are hanging out and the, the student is dropping the bomb and we're off on the wing. Yeah. The IP looks over so to you guys, Are you guys in like a fingertip or not really? Trail or the nah, not even that. More like wedge. wedge just, okay. um, to like numerous times it was like, you know, Tuco fluid. Okay. Um, but the... <laughs> During this, this dude's second bomb drop, the IP looks out the to his right, and he's like, that's an A-10. Co-altitude. In, in this fucking, in the same, like, tiny yeah. little airspace. He's like, what the fuck? Uh, unbriefed. Nobody yeah. knew it was going to be there. Turns out there's some ASOS dudes who had uh, raws on the outside of Centennial Flying Area that... They cleared this A-10 what's, into. What's ASOS? Uh, Air Support Operations Squadron. Okay. Um, so JTACs. Okay. Um, so these JTACs are down on the ground, and they're clearing this A-10 into their RAS, okay. which they set up outside of the Centennial Flying Area, but the lateral confines of that RAS dipped into the CFA. Okay. So they didn't own the CFA. They, didn't, they weren't authorized to put any airplanes in the CFA. Yeah. This is like classic. You see this on like in Afghanistan, like uh, Afghani's dropping rases on top of our rases and yeah. stuff, and like clearing aircraft in, like no one's talking. About Correct. That. I've been in a few uh, Tac Tuesday VTCs where that was like the the topic of conversation. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, continue. all the range, you know, range operations center. Yeah. Uh, they didn't know that this was going on, and so the yeah. IP is like, you know what? Fuck it. <laughs> Don't care. We're going to dump over to the, the MOA just on the outside of the uh, outside of Wismer airspace and go do some low level shit. So we go over there like so unbriefed. No, nah, we that was part of the plan. OK. Um, meanwhile. So anyway, these turns that this dude's doing inside of the CFA to like stay inside and get lined up. He's only pulling four G's. Yeah. Not that bad. Like I really didn't have to strain like at all. Yeah. Um, but dude, we, we would go wings level. And, like, I'd start to get nauseous, and it okay. was rough. I, I fucking yacked. Oh, you had the, <laughs> yeah. the baggy out? Yeah, it wasn't, like, huge. It wasn't, like, a lot. Just but a Dude, <laughs> I, I saw, like, a bead of a sweat minor, drip minor, off my forehead. Minor burptation. Yeah. Or regurgitation. Yeah, I'm literally, I'm, I'm literally just sitting in the backseat not touching anything. Yeah. And I'm dripping sweat. I'm getting chills. <laughs> I was like, this is, this is not good. Um, and then... So we go over to the Talon MOA, and we get over there, and the IP is like, we're going to go do a low level. Turns out there's some helicopter bebopping around at 7,000 feet, just cruising through the MOA. Uh, not squawking, not talking to anybody. So 
in that time, while he's trying to talk to center about all that, the wingman's like at, you know, not fingertip, but he's in, he's yeah. off on the wing. And you look over, and the gun access doors popped open. Okay. So at that point, the IP is like, all right, fuck it. We're done. This is going to be non-effective. Yeah. Because <laughs> they've had two airspace issues, and now the number two's gun access door is open. So, And when he said that, I was like, I am totally fucking cool with that. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm, I'm enjoying myself at this time, just hanging out. You know, cruising. That's really all I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, I am so glad I did. they didn't try and put me into, like, an air-to-air sortie, like, BFM and, like, 1v2 and, like, all kinds of wacky shit because I would I would have just said, no. I'm, I'm out. I know my constitution and what I'm interested in, and it ain't that. Yeah. That's going to be an hour and a half of me struggling for my life. <laughs> <laughs> Blacking out in the back seat. No, thank you. And you've got this, like, task, like, get these two dudes trained, like, these two students. Like, I'm just along for the ride. Was it a three-ship? No, no. It was just a one. It was just a two-ship on this sortie. But but I enjoyed it. It was cool being back in, like, the crew bus and, like, showing up, and the crew chiefs are there. They're, you know, marshalling you in, and they're they're taking your, your helmet bag and, you know... And just seeing the whole orchestration of that that teamwork was incredible. Yeah, I think driving out in the van to the T6 is like one of my favorite things about UPT. Yeah. And everybody's in the bus and we're all, yeah, and like you said, everyone's firing up the T6s and stuff. Like we were doing solos and you like your buddy's doing his solo too. Yeah. We were both like over there like, yeah, you know, yeah. It's great. Yeah. It is really great. I actually um, did know some of the maintainers for the T6s and stuff, yeah. yeah. I mean, even in a huge operation like that, yeah. And that is not possible here in RPAs. And that, as an LR guy that does walk-arounds on airplanes and all that fun stuff, the vibe is just different. You have no idea. Well, and even between uh, MQ-9 squadrons, the vibe can be different, right? So depending on where they are uh, geographically located, right? So Yeah, yeah. Um, G-issues are a weird thing. The hell's going... Oh, Yogi, it looks like we're Lost Link again. Oh, shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. Whoa! <laughs> Indeed we are. <laughs> I'll turn off this buzzer here and... Uh, yeah, let me make, let me get, make the RPA common call real fast. <laughs> um, switch over to Cherokee. Nothing to do until it comes back, huh? Yeah, no. I uh, figure we can just... Uh, Bullshit, and this time I think we should probably let's. I want to talk about uh, geographically separated units or GSUs. Famously, maybe not famously, famous to us, maybe. um, When RPAs were created, when they stood up in the late 90s, yeah, uh, they were all stationed at Creech. Everything was at Creech, everything technically Nellis. At the Predator Operations Center over by the uh, Kayak North or Kayak Nellis, um, just north of the flight line, uh, the southern edge of the flight line. Um, and there was the third sauce that was there. And they were, you know, doing third sauce things. The 15th and was also brought up there. And then shortly after the 15th came up, they all, those things all got moved to Creech. So you had the 11th. Uh, at Creech it's doing launch recovery training and you had the 15th and then the third sauce went slowly went to Cannon so those that's like basically the the early early bits and pieces of it right 
desert, desert, and uh, Canon also kind of a shitty desert, more like a shitty cow desert. Fifteenth um, gets too big; it splits off into the eighteenth, and then you also get the seventeenth that stands up uh, to do their mission, and though they eventually grew into the twenty-second and the eight sixty-seventh, right? The south side. The south side, which was, ironically, I don't think the south side of the base. Yeah. Technically, the west side of the base. Okay. Probably. No. Nah. No, they were they were they were the south side. Be interesting. Now, now I'm looking at I'm thinking about the map in my head as somebody who grew up there. Um, so yeah, they were the south side of the base, right? Um, and then the forty second comes line, but all this shit is still going on. At Creech. Creech is the effing Mecca. And one of the things that people are complaining about the most is the fact that they cannot get out of a desert and there's terrible basing options and all this fun stuff. And like it went to Creech because Creech was a, you know, basically an auxiliary airfield, formerly known as Indian Springs Auxiliary Airfield, practice location for the F-16s, yeah. an, an emergency divert field for anybody flying on the range, that type of thing. Dude, I um, don't, I don't care about, I mean, maybe I'm weird. I don't care about desert or not desert or trees or not trees. Sure. Like, I just want to be doing a sick mission in a good squadron. Like, I could, I could care less. I think most people just hated the fact that they were flying RPAs and they hated the fact that they had a 30-minute drive to work through nothing but desert, right? That's probably what their biggest complaint was. Sure. But, but, yeah, that, but, that would annoy the shit out of me. But what they really wanted, so they thought that, like, the, the key to a great life was going to be some better place. Like something with trees or, you know, something that's not so hot. Um, sure. And enough people bitched and moaned about this thing um, in, in their deox surveys and all these other little, like, things that they tried to do to, like, improve the community and stuff like that. And they got this idea. Like, a lot of people said, if they had better basing options, of course, everybody wants to be at a better base. We all want to be at the Tyndall's and the... Langley's and the Vandenberg's of <laughs> of the Air Force ain't gonna happen, man. We need pe- like airspaces. If you're gonna stuff a whole bunch of airplanes, loud, noisy airplanes, they want them out in the middle of fucking nowhere. I think test pilots complain about being at Edwards. You know, like it's. <laughs> I mean, they probably do. I don't know, but like, no, they're there for the mission. They, they know why they're there. Yeah, they, you know. Yeah, I guess it's different. But man, I could fly this RPA from anywhere. I yeah. should be in a in an office building in town. Just like F I mean, the LR te- guys, yeah. Technically true, right? Yeah. Um, so they wanted these GSUs, or they wanted these other basing locations. So the Air Force was like, all right, we think that's going to work. That's going to that's gonna bring up our retention because we're having a hard time retaining people in RPAs. Imagine that. And uh, so they stand up the originally the 432nd Attack Squadron okay. at... Uh, Ellsworth, currently at the time, so 2011-ish time frame, uh, in ACC. Mm -hmm. Remember, everything was ACC. B1s, B2s, fighters, RPAs, all that shit was happening in Air Combat Command. If it had a weapon on it and was blowing some shit up, ACC. And simultaneously, they stood up the 20th. Hounds. At Whiteman Air Force Base in lovely Knob Noster, Missouri, uh, at you know the world's premier stealth bomber base, yeah, and dude, Whiteman, nice base, 
super small, nice small yeah nice but small but super nice like you could tell there's money there like all the buildings are brick nicely appointed like there's yeah i liked it i liked it a lot having come from creech where like half of everything is in a fucking trailer yeah <laughs> you know what i mean you're like this is kind of nice yeah um you got all this big b2 money out here this is killer and uh and then oh, i really should have looked this up beforehand but and the year is not important um some crew flew nuclear weapons if i recall correctly they were not armed or there wasn't any real risk here but they flew nuclear weapons from uh minot to barksdale yeah in a b-52 yeah right simultaneously in short order like either preceding that or uh, maybe after that uh Somebody shipped a whole bunch of nuclear, like a bunch of sensitive equipment, like to some foreign country that they weren't supposed to. Something related to nukes. I don't remember the, the specifics of it, but it's kind of like a that <laughs> that movie, The Departed, <laughs> microchips. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> uh, and then also the missile community just got reamed for rampant cheating on yeah. all of their stuff, right? Yeah, I remember reading about that at the Academy. Huge. A long time ago. Big deal. And the Air Force freaked out and was like, whoa, we got to refocus on our nuclear uh, mission. We're going to put it under its own command again. And they're all going to, so this is where Air Force Global Strike Command came out of. We basically re, like, sack reborn. Yeah. Right? Um, and so they made Ellsworth and Whiteman <laughs> global strike bases. Yeah. Meaning. That the now the 89th attack squadron up at uh, Ellsworth and the 20th is marooned. Yeah. And they're like, oh, shit. A little ACC squadron on a <laughs> yeah. global strike. It was like, base. okay, so what do we do now? Well, do we just pack up the squadron and close them and like move them to back to an ACC base? Yeah. Um, and get them on. Uh, Tenant unit. That's going to cost money and like. I don't know about that, man. So we'll just make them tenant units. We'll call it, they'll just be GSUs. They'll be assigned to the 432nd Ops Group, the 432nd Wing. There's a base to cre- like at Creech, but like not, you know. And uh, things start getting weird and squirrely from there. Now, GSUs have pros and cons. Yogi, you spent a fair amount of time at the 20th as a you know, relatively young captain, uh, into basically yeah. you, you basically spent your entire se- your your entire captain years. Yeah, my little, uh, my, little my little cap here at the end. Yeah, here at Holloman, but yeah, right. Um, but you already had a line number to major. So as far as anybody's concerned, your entire captain experience was at the twentieth. Yeah. What did you like about kind of being at a GSU? You also had the opportunity to work with a squadron commander. So if you have any insight on like benefits to being a GSU in that realm. Let's hear it. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's hard to separate out cause it's, it might just be limited to just the 20th, but I, okay. uh, hounds, but I, <laughs> we're going to have to put a stop. No, a lot of it. dude, a lot of people like the 89th as well. Uh, like Bones uh, and some of our other friends. Yeah. And they spent a liked, lot of time up we there. Liked, we liked each other, right, yeah. so to speak, um, where 
the 89th and the 20th kind of viewed each other as more, especially once the Shaw squadron stood up, like more sister squadrons and like kind of in the yeah. same boat together, helping each other. I believe the squadron commanders and had closer relationships and the DOs closer relationships from like 89th to 20th. Yogi says the 25th, he's talking about the 25th attack group. Yeah. A GSU of its own, right? So yeah. geographically separated ops group, group <laughs> over yeah. at Shaw, whose parent wing is at Creech yeah. with two bases, two squadrons at Ellsworth and Whiteman. Like this is a, this is getting a, turning into a shit show. Meanwhile, Tyndall gets run over by a hurricane and, you know, base Y is not going to happen. So none of that's going on. So now we're just trying to make it up as we go. But, 89th and 20th sister squadrons. So as far as positives go, I think there's a, I don't know this. So there's something about kind of like that I loved about driving on a base at Whiteman and knowing that I was going to go to this little, you know, at the far end of the flight line, this little brick building that at least at the time when I first got there, didn't have any markings on it. And there yeah. were no big Kansas city hog sign out in front, like the a 10 guard squad yeah. had out there or reserve squadron. Had it's out just there. literally a steel um, building. Was it building 59 or something? Yeah. Britain, the little shed there. Yeah. And, and we were dropping so much hate, like in the MQ one and MQ nine yeah. time there when I first got there. And there was this sense that we were like this little Island that we're kind of like doing this, doing a lot of good work, but like no one was really checking in on us. Right. Yeah. For better or for worse. And, um, so there was like, there was an aesthetic value to that or an emotional value to that, which I thought was kind of cool. And there was the whole thing where the B2 is kind of the, in a lot of sense, like it exists to be a deterrent. Mm -hmm. Right. And they don't really go operational, uh, they, you know, they, they have done some missions, but that was more of just to like knock the rust off or say that they did for the publicity, but well, it, let's, it wasn't necessary to send the B2. All right. right. So in 2017, yeah. B2s famously did, they did a mission. Yeah. And they launched out of Whiteman and they flew all the way to Libya. Yeah. Right. Uh, and you know, dropped some bombs on a bunch of tents and stuff. Got lost, <clears throat> missed, missed some stuff too. So. Who do you think found those tents, identified yeah. those targets, and like had spent the month prior blasting dudes to push them out of Tripoli and <laughs> shit like that? Yeah. MQ-9s. Yeah. And it was MQ-9s watching all this stuff go down, and they had to, like like you said, shake off the rust. So they flew this billion-dollar bomber <laughs> to yeah. the other side of the world <laughs> yeah. in this like show of force, which there's value in doing that. Yeah. And there was this, uh, and they all got air medals and all this stuff, like every <laughs> single one of them. And we were just like, what the hell? Uh, I'm, I am building to a point with this, but uh, there was a Captain Johnson who had continuation, uh, who old as hell. Like, a, <laughs> like he was retiring at 20 as a captain. Yeah. Um, I think he refused to go to SOS or something, like, because he was prior enlisted and he was also like, um, he flew the Lear jets, yeah. like, and then came over to MQ ones, right? Yeah, um, and he the like, C twenty ones or something. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. he refused to do uh, SOS, I believe, maybe some other stuff. But uh, he knew a lot of stuff. Taught me a lot when I was going through uh, MQT there for the MQ one. But um, I remember all of our during our mass brief, a lot of the intel guys got up and were briefing us on the Libya mission, and like yeah. basically like 
cooing and all over over all this cool stuff that the B two did. And I I remember Captain Johnson stood up. He was like, "Do you think for half a second that anybody is being briefed about the fact that we drop more ordnance than this in a week and kill way more many people in a week in all of our theaters, just this squadron than they did in this like this entire year?" And then uh, they're like, "No." And he's like, "Then leave." We're gonna do our mass brief, and then like he kicked them out. Oh, and, this uh, was like some B two folks, or no, no, no. It was like our intel people briefing oh. us on B 2s and he like kicked the, he kicked them out of the mass yeah. brief. Like, and then, get out of here. Yeah, he's like, I don't, I know you're like trying to find something to brief us, but all of this is to say <laughs> that there was. I love that moment. I, it's, it's, it was awesome, <laughs> but yeah, but there was this sense of being on a B two base doing our MQ nine mission that like we were kind of. Uh, you know the forgotten but forgotten but doing massive work which kind of yeah. brought us all closer together yeah had a little more camaraderie and that like we were not the reason to draw for the base right and uh that there's three thousand but that we were actually that don't know what you're doing and the yeah. security forces dudes outside don't even know what's going on inside which in a weird <laughs> way actually made a lot of us like more fond of the 20th yeah, and like yeah. had more buy-in because, and, and we also had, you know, and then the, the, the other flip side of that in a positive, not the other kind of being on a base like that se- separated from like the larger MQ nine community. Yeah. And I think this could, this is a sword that, you know, that might have to might be double edged. I think it, if your it squadron is. commander is good, Right, you, and like we certainly had one in the end there for the last two years I was there, um, who who very deliberately leveraged this in a lot of ways. Right, you don't have as much direct oversight from group commanders or wing commanders, kind yeah. of like standardizing everything. So you were allowed to build a brand and a way of doing things, or um, that you could marshal yourself if you had enough. Uh, enough horsepower to like do that in a good way sure could also probably be enough rope to hang yourself uh if you were not a strong squadron commander that's certainly. that's that's how much rope a squadron commander should be given yeah but you you had you were necessarily given that much because the group commander showed up twice a year to do like inspections and check around right? yeah and that was if he was being on top of it right yeah sometimes less and you know the way you operated and you know what things you waved or didn't do or culturally how things were right there was no immediate comparison to other people to try to like homogenize everybody um so you had it you had an opportunity to build more of a brand more of a style more of more of a cohesion if you had the the ability to leverage all so of that. in what areas like do you can do you have any specific examples i have one the 20th was the first squadron to uh, synchronize its call signs, right? Yeah. Where it flew, every airplane it flew had the same call sign. Yeah. Uh, previously, uh, as kind of a means of like easy uh, oper- operational level mm-hmm. for the pay rock or pr- prior to that, the walk, uh, every line had its own name that, you know, may or may not have had like some theme to it. Uh, think like Chevy and Ford and Toyota. Like, imagine every line in your squadron being named after a car. Yeah, like that's 
that's not the same as every time you show up, you're checking in as Muff 01 or Muff 02 or Muff 03, and then every lieutenant that shows up, every time they check in anywhere, they check in with that call sign that represents the squadron. You know what I mean? So yeah. there's a, the 20th was able to pull that off um, because it had some people in the right positions to just pull, like, rip that bandaid off and tell somebody else, hey, go fuck yourself. We're going to, like, we're doing it. It's on the ATO. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Um, it was important. It was massively important. Uh, we had that brand recognition with the JTAX down theater and like, yeah. and because we were, uh, in that time period for about a year, we had very experienced personnel on both the pilot and the, and the left and the right seat. Yeah. Generally speaking in the 20, like super fat on experience, like those created its own problems, like administratively, which I think you're going to talk about with where people can go. Yeah, maybe. But, uh, we were able to deliver on to, to a higher effectiveness rate, yeah. um, more consistently, better effects, um, and because they knew it was a 20th attack squadron with that call sign every time, right. They would just reach for us for, and like make us the primary strike asset for all this stuff. And it kind of like created a, a chain reaction there where this compounding in a positive way. If you're good, right. If you're bad, but, but we were good at that time. If you're right? bad, they'll put you in the penalty box. Like, ah, oh, yeah, I got, God damn it. I got the, I got the muffs again. Yeah. All right. Um, all right, man, I need you at the top of the stack. I'm going to have four people stacked below you. Oh, so what happens <laughs> with like the gray Eagles, right? The yeah. MQ one Charlie's right. Everyone knows like, fuck those guys. Right? <laughs> but the, um, the, uh, like the last option is to pull the right. MQ one Charlie into the strike. Right. Right. And, um, but the point is that we were good. Right, and so we were able to, because of the experience, I think prim was the primary reason, and there were some other things that they did to put a focus on training in a way that I don't think a lot of other squadrons were necessarily being as deliberate about uh, with, like, supervised scenarios and scoreboard and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, right. Um, was a lot of deliberateness put uh, in that first, like, year and a half there. Yeah. Um, I think it started to trail off quite a bit um in the last year that i was there as we got less experienced and then supervised scenarios and the scoreboard um the original intent and like how they're supposed to be used that the waters got muddied over time yeah. with a variety of other things because uh well essentially the group this might be illustrative the group took the supervised scenarios model that was created which is that we were going to do hard-hitting ct short hard-hitting ct on our lines that and the was, gaps and like the rooms yeah, and the, that, and the squad and that yeah. was free right and it was meant to be challenging to, to push our crews in challenging scenarios and improve them right yeah and the group tried to standardize that because they saw it was working for us yeah and they came up with this thing called dat dedicated air crew training yeah that was like 30 minutes yeah on, on, every the, on the front end and the back end of the vol right and uh yeah rather than just a, a thing that's done every day to the max extent possible with every crew that's flying. And like a, as a role, one of your roles as instructors is not just to do so for MQT. It's to also push and sharpen like our, our line dudes for some background on like what it takes to get 30 minutes on the front and 30 minutes on the back. Like you're talking to mission managers at the supported units and like it's going through the chaos and the LNOs are trying to like convince these dudes that no, like, trust me, you're going to get a better product if you lose an hour of 
ISR coverage, which means these guys sure. now have to bring in other assets and like the, so their whole plans, like all these ISR plans are held together by a shoestring and bubblegum man. And if one airplane falls out, right. So that's like, but the, the fact that they were able to get to having 30 minutes on the front and 30 minutes on the back, like, and having people agree to doing that, it's, it's more of an effort than sure. It's than more, it's, think, right? it's more of an effort for a, is a shittier product. Because what ended up happening? Oh. <laughs> no, that that was terrible. It, yeah, it, it killed supervised scenarios because essentially we had to track that for the group. Yeah, and they, um, the the goal shifted over time. It was very incremental, uh, insidious psychological thing that happened at the twentieth. Yeah, where the goal became to f- fulfill your DAT quota to the group yeah. rather than to accomplish a meaningful supervised scenario in accordance yeah. with the original. Uh, vision for that right and, and the the tracking for it and sending that data to the 25th attack group um superseded all that right and, and it eventually be the the point of supervised scenarios became to check a box like to that you did that right without without any reference to the content or the challenging nature of it right um there is uh, so people were just counting we I mean like superficially count beans to fulfill their debt and like just be like yeah i'm doing a hellfire strike yeah boo, boo, boo. right rather than having an ip come in yeah run a like 15 minute challenging scenario that could not necessarily related to a strike either it could have been like see uh, collateral calls or something like yeah. that that we, what they wanted to practice on right um even air warden stuff right like what's what's manage a stack for 15 minutes right um when you separate that, right, and you're doing it for, like, the next echelon up, it just feels like this admin burden that you have to get through. Yeah, um, and, 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 and the process of trying to, like, bring that in a meaningful way to the rest of the 25th attack group, because I believe it was, in fact, inspired by the supervised scenarios that the 20th was doing, the push for that, anyway. It didn't work. Right, it actually defeated the purpose of it. We were actually worse off with that in the end than if we had never gone through all the gyrations to create it, as you said. So let me give um, you a quote. Yeah. So this comes from the Federalist Papers, and I think this is Alexander Hamilton. It is a known fact in human nature that its affections are commonly weak in proportion to the distance or diffusiveness of the object. Upon the same principle that a man is more attached to his family than to his neighborhood, to his neighborhood than to the community at large, the people of each squadron would be more apt to feel a stronger bias towards their local commander than towards the commander of the group. And I'm paraphrasing here. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's, yeah, it's a statement of kind of the psychology behind federalism yes. from the founding fathers perspective. Yes. Yes. But, uh, and at this point in time, like with how connected we are with the yeah. internet and all that stuff, I don't know if that's necessarily true well, or anymore. Right. Or disconnected. But in, in that time, like that's true. And it's true in the microcosm, I think of, you know, operational flying yeah. squadrons. So because we were a bit on an Island kind of doing our own thing with that, we had more buy-in and we felt like we were doing something special and for ourselves. Right. And there wasn't like another squadron in the same building, not doing it to compare it to. Right. Yeah. Like we were just the 20th is doing 20th things and we're, we're a little beacon of MQ nine. Excellence. Excellence. Yeah. And, uh, 
you know, the future of air power on this white elephant B2 base, right? Yeah. That no one knows about. So there's like, there's just a certain je ne sais quoi in the air. And we're, and we're crushing all comers, all like all of our peers. Yeah. And there's just a certain like je ne sais quoi in the air about you know, uh, like the ambiance even of like being at the 20th was, was a little different, right? Like, uh, and, and you, and it let, you were able to get more buy-in for, for programs like that, that kind of pushed the boundaries. I felt like when there wasn't an immediate comparison or like a immediate like group or wing, like kind of like squashing or reaching too directly (laughs) into the character of it, or the squadron commander wasn't as worried about what the wing commander, the group commander feels about the way his sock is run. Right. Like we're just, you're just doing it. Right. Um, so that's the positive if you can leverage that. And I think the 20th was able to leverage GSU positives in that way. Yeah. And, you know, it's it might have happened somewhere else too with the same commander or maybe the same group of people who plopped this down in Shaw. But, uh, I, th- I mean, I think there's a certain intangible to that GSU thing that kind of made some of that a little more electric. Um, so... That is to say, it's kind of an ineffable positive in that sense. Yeah, um, but I think there there is potential positives. Well, what resulted? But, so the, in twenty twenty, what what award did the twentieth win? So well, that was one of the things. So the the we won the GA trophy. Yeah, yeah, we won squadron of the year and of the in a, of the quarter a bunch yeah. of times. Um, how many do you remember the like? How many strikes you had relative to? To your sister squadrons, I don't remember the exact figures, but we did the we did the data mining on it at one point because we had a suspicion, and we actually went and looked at strike records yeah. and ARs to be able to prove all this data. Uh, not only did we crush all you know all the rest of the MWSs in terms of just raw number of strikes and raw number of EKIA, we crushed all the other MQ nine squadrons, sure, um, by by a substantial margin. It had to do with that branding. It had to do with the call signs. It had to do with the supervised scenarios. Uh, it had to do with the scoreboard, um, which is what we used to like track the efficiency of supervised scenarios. Yeah. Which over time, like maybe as an aside, well, that was to track the efficiency of real world strikes, right? W- no. So. The, oh, that's right. That's right. That was so. For the, the, this the is training the scenario. This is the point, right? That how the, many you did? The lead measure, right? Like the four four disciplines of execution. Right? <laughs> yeah. Good um, book. Yeah. The. Uh, the idea was that the if we did supervise scenarios, strike efficiency would go up, right? So you input the independent variable. The input is supervised scenarios. So that's what we're really tracking on the scoreboard. And then the output sh- should correspond yeah. with increased efficiency. And that's how we measure. Whether, like, that's the ultimate goal, and that's what we're measuring. Yeah. But, but what we're doing is supervised scenarios to create that. And, right? and the squadron was looking to get 98 strike or 98% strike yeah, which pretty, effectiveness. Pretty, which is pretty high. We were rarely which ever there. Which means you met the commanders and ground commanders' intent. No, right? no. Nope. Uh, it meant that we met effective on our Hellhound standard. So okay. we had we had ground force commander intent strike one, like class one was tracked, but yeah. we didn't really care about that. We cared about whether, based on our own internal criteria, whether the strike was effective and went beyond shot kill, right? Yeah, gotcha. uh, more stringent beyond shot kill. So did he die though? Was not the no. That was not the standard. So you you could have a class one ineffective strike from from a scoreboard 
perspective. Gotcha. Um, from a, from the hellhound standard perspective. Um, over time too, that, that, that disintegrated in my opinion, um, as an effective measure, because what ended up happening or what ended up happening, I think, uh, I think someone in this room might have actually like made the scoreboard. Um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, I did write the scoreboard. Yeah, my major cray. This is like the one commander that recognized my other talent and <laughs> put it to use. My major beef with the scoreboard is since the whole intent was to do supervise, you know, input, supervised scenario, output, high strike effectiveness based on the Hellhound standard. Um, that supervised scenarios should have been at the top and large, like the, the training numbers for that, like that, how much each, each flight was doing on shift over yeah. the last, you know, 10, 10 weeks or whatever. And then strikes should have been on the bottom, right. But it was inverted. So that strikes were the big banner and the strike percentage was the big banner at the top and training was just in the bottom, right. And like a little was sub it? table. Yeah. And so it, over I, time, I remember it vaguely. Yeah. Over time without, I, yeah, <laughs> I have a lot to say about this. <laughs> if we're really going to get into it, but I, I think we're pretty much done for now. But the, uh, but over time it caused, um, it caused people to look at the scoreboard, like just for the strike effectiveness. Right. Sure. And, and, and to dislocate that from the input of supervised scenarios. And so you combine that with that, which muddied the waters where it's not about getting effective, IP led training on your shift because we were trying to ameliorate another problem, which was that line CMR pilots before they go to instructor upgrade have years. It's a chasm before they're really getting like formal training or even interacting with IPs. Yeah. They're just kind of rotting until they, you know, are selected for IPUG. Yeah. They just get in and they put on an op mission and fly their circles and yeah. Or they do <laughs> their strikes and it goes well or it doesn't. Right. But like, they're not getting that interaction with, you know, to a higher level with IPs until then, right? Like there's right. no, there's no wingman role. There's no, you're not, you're not a right seater to a left seater where you're kind of getting mentored. Even yeah. That early and you're, and you're not even getting like the, that tactical mentorship, even though you're qualified, like, but like, here's the real world, right? Like yeah. how we think about things and do things. So you're not getting like the, the deployment spin up, like yeah. hardcore training from all that stuff. So super yeah. scenario is supposed to get all of that. And it just ended up being so. You combine that with when we when we introduced DAT, it was just about checking that box for the group. So like the IP focus, the challenging focus of that started to diminish over time, and people lost sight of that and started just like, well, we just need to have a high strike effectiveness, and this is just a negative tool up here that is you know shaming us if we do bad. Yeah. And we brought shame upon the squadron, the the vaunted hellhounds, right? <laughs> We've brought shame rather than, you know, an input-output measuring stick, right? Yeah. So, and I think some of that had to do, like, maybe subliminally, some of that uh, was communicated by the way the scoreboard itself was laid out. So and should it, that have just, like, not had actual strike efficiency on it and just, like, how many number of training scenarios were run by each flight? So I think I think training scenarios on the top, bigger, yeah, and then strike effectiveness in the bottom right smaller. Oh. But uh, if I if I could have waved my wand at the at the scoreboard later on when yeah. some of this stuff was starting to happen, um, 
Because early on, everybody was on message and understood. So yeah, why we were doing and it. And it didn't matter, right, uh, that the scoreboard looked like that or whatever. But um, we still got to measure strike effectiveness because that's the, the output. Right. right. So it still needs to be there. All this to say that you could you could do a lot of these cool things and build a brand. And that's like really what, what we were doing what, yeah. through all of this stuff. We were building a tactical brand. We also built an admin brand too, uh, which was cool. Um, and you, you could, you could do some of that a little more aggressively, even though in, in, on paper, you could do the same thing somewhere else. Right. But it's all the social pressures and the immediate oversight that makes it a little harder and all these, uh, tacit subliminal ways to, to pull that off that we weren't feeling at the 20th. Right. Yeah. We felt we were, uh, to twist the phrase alone and very much unafraid of all the things that we were doing, it actually brought us together and made us a little more aggressive about all the stuff, both tactically, which we've talked a lot about and administratively uh, later on. Once that, once that, uh, once that uh, our squadron commander, when he was the DO, then he became the squadron commander. And then yeah. he, we started moving out on the admin front more. Um, that was awesome. So that, that's like the, the positive side, but there are also a lot of negatives. Certainly. So, to illustrate a couple of those, um, sorry for that that pie in to the twentieth. No, right so there. so the, hounds at a GSU, right? So the, the the normal progression through a squadron is that you show up as a lieutenant, and you go through MQT, and you become a line dog. You just show up to your mass brief. You learn about the targets that you're going to be going after that day. You go out to the, the cockpit with your your sensor operator, and you two chill out there for. Four to eight hours, depending upon your manpower, right? And you just grind it out five days on, three days off, and you do probably do that for a year and a half to two years. Yeah. The good part, the good ones of you, the better ones that stand out from your peers, um, which who knows what they're actually measuring <laughs> to say that you stand out, right? Uh, you're reliable. You're not stupid in the in the cockpit, but it probably has more to do with engagement and attitude and personality and like energy that you bring right yeah. um you get selected for ipug mm -hmm. maybe um but you're also doing same time you're doing shop level jobs you're an assistant shop chief and you know just the lackey and then you upgrade to shop chief and then you maybe go on to assistant flight commander and then into flight commander and then if you know somewhere in there maybe a few of you will get exec yeah and you'll pick up other you know nuisance jobs like ra and uh, well, that's right about that. <laughs> um, Riot has been the RA king of several squadrons at this point. And the <laughs> and that's the progression, right? Yeah. Um, what does a squadron need above that for majors? What like you're about to be a major? Majors a terrible rank, okay? Because you're an ADO, you're like you're not yet a DO, like in position to kind of run things. But you're also not a flight commander or a shop chief. You're just like middle manager guy. And if you have a crap DO who's not good at like project management and like delegation and like managing that, what should be happening is that they, those things get delegated. Most of what the DO does gets delegated. And now he's up there kind of managing, right? Sure. Uh, if he has a lot of ADOs. 
I showed up to the 20th in March of 2017. So this was like two months after uh, the B2s did their thing in Libya. Yeah. And I, I went to like my my right start brief and the generals in there talking about how awesome you know, the B2s are and how long this sortie this was and how many bombs they dropped. And I was like in the back of the room just like... <laughs> <laughs> I feel the same way. I was like, I mean, I thought it was cool watching them fly around and stuff, but yeah. I, I, I always took, like I said earlier, I took so much pleasure, and like I would see them in their hangers, and I'd be like, yeah, yeah I'm gonna put more hate down this week than you will your entire career. <laughs> you fuck. I mean, right? Like I just, but they're also. Yeah, preparing they, to put down enough hate to kill a hundred thousand people at and once. Their, right? they exi- <laughs> their existence, is, their mere existence, is fulfilling their purpose, right? As yeah, a, as a deterrent. So it's it's not a uh, very charitable thought that I was having there. Right. But, um, <laughs> so I show up, and my initial tasking is to continue to teach IQT because I was an instructor and evaluator at Holloman, and they needed the twentieth was transitioning from MQ ones to MQ nines. And they had a couple of people that, for whatever reason, could not go to Holloman or elsewhere to do their TX4 course, whether that was family care plan stuff, exceptional family member things, whatever. Uh, so I'm over there teaching, teaching that and just basically a line instructor at this point. Yeah. Quickly upgraded to evaluator because I was like one of two guys with MQ9 experience at the time. And we started growing all these MQ9 guys. And then I'm teaching MQT and like kind of building like the foundation uh, for that squadron. But after that... Yeah, you didn't do my MQ-9. I did not. Uh, MQT. I don't think I did a single one of yours. You did one ride. Did I? Yeah. And Interesting. I don't remember. Uh, it was my two check. Nice. Um, How's you doing your check ride? I think fine. All right. Good enough for me. My MQT was kind of rough, though, for the MQ-9. Yeah, because so you had a... Buzz, buzz for every buzz single ride. And, oh, was it buzz? I had him for every single ride. Oh, you didn't even get pause it? No. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, and then, yeah, just the same instructor every day. Kind of like <laughs> wears on you. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, you shake it up a little bit. Well, and I was frustrated because I, I felt like I was pretty good for where I was in the MQ1 for a line guy. And like, yeah. I knew all this stuff, but like now it's it's the same but different with the MQ9. So I was frustrated with, I'm not just instantly yeah. good at the MQ9, right? So anyway. But I was we, also not but, instantly good. But we, uh, yeah, I couldn't, I just couldn't, like, it didn't directly translate some of the the you know how to hold and stuff didn't yeah. like directly translate from the mq1 to the mq9 yeah. so 70 to, to 140 to, knots true you know yeah and the geometry matters <laughs> a lot more actually because yeah. you can just turn on a pin in the mq1 right? yeah but anyway anyway so i did that for a while and then it was like well what do we do with you i guess we'll make you the chief of stanaval so Sweet. I, I took over Stanavel, the, the the king of shop chief jobs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, and the it, creme it, de la creme. It's it's kind of like the way I look at a squadron. It's like okay, you got the commander, and the DO, lieutenant colonels. Yeah, your chief of Stanavel is probably he's up there. Should be a major if yeah. you have one. Yeah. Right. Um. And then all your shop chiefs and your flight commanders are all the captains and they're all squabbling it out for all the other shit because all the other shop jobs, you know, are D O T D O S. Yeah, they're cut below. Yeah, and Stanavel is C C V, you're working for the commander. Yeah. Right. Um etc. As this community ages, it seems like the ranks of all the people in these jobs just keeps getting lower and lower and lower. But yeah. Just me. Um 
So I take over the standing valve job. But I'm also asked if I want to go to deploy to go be the RPA LNO. And the problem with the GSU is that there is no other opportunity for advancement. I was in the king, the king of these shop jobs. Yeah. Like, great. But I was nowhere even close to the next level up, which would be DO. Yeah. Right? So there's this chasm that exists. Yeah. Well, we had, uh, we had majors besides you, and we kind of had a, lot, a fair few of them in that time period yeah. I was talking about uh, when the scoreboard and all that was going down initially. Yeah. Like Rhino, Shiva, Trimble. Uh, yeah, Rhino, Shiva, Trimble. I can't remember the guy from a, a flight. Meyer. Mauer. Mauer. Dave yeah. Mauer. Yeah. Borg. Yeah. Um, and they were, they were the shift leads. Yes. And that's, that was their job. And it was awesome. Which is basically like ADO, right? So they're the yeah. guys that are running the shift when, you know, cause the DO's busy doing some other silly stuff, yeah. not really managing day to day ops. It's kind of like the, the director of future operations. Yeah. Having, having those dudes was awesome for like, uh, cause they could kind of hold the hammer on, you know, the way the, the shift was operating yeah. behind the sock door. Yeah. Uh, and ha- all three of those dudes were pretty good. And, uh, yep. for, for that role, the problem is it's not very sexy for their OPR. Correct. Right? At all. Like at all as a major. Um, it was it awesome. Did we, really benefit from it yes did we feel the absence of that when we suddenly got major less we did not have a single major after you pcs for like two years <laughs> no it was it was like me uh it was squadron commander lieutenant colonel do lieutenant colonel semi-senior captains yeah but that it that was it yeah captains and, without a line number like hadn't yeah. even like and we had one major who was kind of a fuck up who uh, actually, actually, we had one major who's kind of a fuck up, but he was not going to touch anything near any levers of power yeah. responsibility, um, or at least he was perceived to be a fuck up. Anyway, enough said about that. But the um, I think he's doing space. I think he's in space space force now. Gotcha. But the um, they uh, when those dudes left, like it it hurt us so bad. Like that's when like it started the worm started to turn a little bit. Like not that things got horrible. Yeah, we lost some of that pristine stuff that happened in like t- 2018, 2019, early, yeah. early 2020, and uh, well 2018, 2019, and uh, and you know it's just like what did they move on? Like would it have been good to bring in other majors? Yeah, for us. Would have been yep. fucking terrible for those majors. Correct, because they can't be tasked off to Air Force Global Strike Command Ops Group. You can very right? painfully. Like they did that with like the one lieutenant colonel at one point. Yeah. And it, well, you're technically assigned to the twentieth, right? So your OPR and your yeah, they, do, they did duties at Correct. And duties at is is and I'm learning this, right? Because like right now, like UMD billets at the wing, full. <laughs> Technically, I'm not assigned to the wing. Okay. I'm a ninth attack squadron with guy duties with at. duties at the wing. And that looks different on your surf, which is like, you know, then thing I, number one at the top of the list of your I record am, of performance. I right? am the wing, dude. Right. Um, 
And so there's a lot of that little like admin queep that matters when it comes to promotion boards and things like that. So senior captains going into majors who should be moving on to jobs like, you know, group level jobs, you know, Stanaval dude, OGV, yeah, um, or like a branch chief in OGV, or yeah. he's going up to the wing to be the, you know, the commander's action guy. Uh, yeah. maybe a group commander's action group if he has one of those right um, and you're doing all these other like yeah. you're starting to branch out at that point um, you can't do that at the 20th or the 89th you kind of can kind of but then you become like this detached I don't know ADO or like <laughs> exec like pseudo guy who works for the group commander, but like you're at, you're at a completely different base and it's, yeah, it gets really weird. Yeah. I got offered, um, I got offered duties at Shaw, uh, instead of coming to here. Yeah. At at one point. And, uh, Colonel Wasmuth shut that down for the reasons you're talking about. He's like, this is just weird and won't be good for you. Right. So, uh, like it might seem good, but it's going to be painful experience for you and it's not going to do what you think. Right. Like what they're selling you, right? So. Right, right, and it's so GSUs are, can be terrible. Yeah, uh, and I'm, I'm super. In that gl- I'm super glad I didn't take that. I mean, I'm, yeah, yeah, smart move, smart move, um, or like push for it, or like you know, yeah. The because I know like one at least one dude did it. I don't I don't remember what his actual uh, duty title was, right? Uh, but he he like started sitting in this other office in the secondary building. Um, yeah, and hanging out over there, and he'd like do a VTC with the com- the group commander like once a week or something. And meanwhile, the group commander has his exec. He has all the We're other all in the flesh and in the blood. In the flesh, he knows he knows their personality, their cadence. You know what I mean? Like how they carry themselves because uh, they don't have this VTC land in between them. Um, and I suspect that all those guys that were working directly for the group commander probably did better. Career-wise, anyway. Yeah, I assume so. Uh, it also hurts awards boards massively. Yeah, you did a lot of that, right? Yeah, quite a bit. They did a lot of awards and deck stuff. So how so? Um, right, so you have to VTC in uh, to the, the conference. You had to conference call in to the awards boards. Yeah. Um, there were a number of times where I was privy to like the conversations that were happening on these two when... Uh, um, as a silent partner, one might say. Yeah. Uh, with like the DO in the room, like the DO's on the call, right? And I'm just yeah. like taking notes and from a strategic point of view of like how the conversation's going and like maybe maybe slide him a piece of paper, like hit this point, you know, based on yeah, what's yeah. happening or um, to strategize for next time based on like what seems to be... Uh, What's the going right here? Yeah, like what seems to be attractive to the other squad because everyone's voting, right? Essentially, it's semi pseudo democratic process. Yeah, that they try to do a lot of the times where the group commander will sit there and the the squadron commander, the DOs will kind of like all talk about it or vote <laughs> or grade them, right? And then they'll they'll kind of hash it out based on whoever scores the highest, right? Yeah, or, or who people like, right? Yeah, and uh, it matters so much. To be physically present when you're trying to persuade other people yeah. that that like your guy that you like that you know that they don't know because then they also don't see this guy in their building, 
Right. Yeah, the, group, the captain's... And the group commander doesn't see this person. Yeah. Right. And doesn't haven't seen him in the flesh. He doesn't right? walk over to the squadron to fly the line and see, and like you see these guys being right? a boss, right? right. Like a, you know, stepping him as the op soup or whatever. Right. right? Um the pers- so the persuasion task is much harder. Um, which is why um our squadron commander in those last two years like kind of went out of his way to fly up there. Like he just bit the bullet and would like fly up yeah, there. Yeah, just to, pay, to pay the person. squadron funds to fly and Yeah, and I think maybe he dialed in a couple times, but like I think for the most part he would like actually go. Um because he he you know, he understood that as well as I you know, as I had experienced as a wards and dex chief. And, yeah. Um for for several many several iterations of awards and decks, uh how that goes. I mean at core these are all just human organizations. Yeah. Right. And as much as Who we do you want, like? Right. And it's a, it's a it's a persuasion task. Yeah. Right. And the the award package that you write with the bullets or the narrative or however they're doing it, right, before they get to the twelve oh six, right? Is just a tool that doesn't go beyond the selection process. To aid to aid the communication and the persuasion process, it's a persuasion piece, and ultimately that persuasion piece piece is pushed over the goal line by the conversation that's had, yeah. And that conversation that's had that kind of seals the deal, makes what's on the paper real, uh, is so much harder over VTC when everybody else can like look right. You don't know if they're making faces, like, yeah. Right? Yeah, like, all the guys that are off while you're like, talking on the other squadron commander because they're like, do, <laughs> yeah, doing that, like doing like a little kill motion with their hand, yeah, right? or whatever, right? Or like this guy's full of shit, like you know, insane, <laughs> right? You you don't know, and they they, they are, you know, it's and if just, that squadron commander has good rapport with the group commander, like that little motion might might like just yeah. tip a little bit, or it might just like signal, like it might just set the tone in the room, right? And like, right. And, and you're just you're just dislocated from all of that disconnected yeah. um disintegrated one might say but the um and it's so much harder to, to to get that done uh so typically gsu's struggle to uh win as many awards as like the creature the shaw guys right. like it's more difficult um and we know that we knew that going in that like our shit has to be more on point. We have to pick and choose our battles yeah. more aggressively, right? Like if we have a strong guy that we know is in the hunt to win, like we have to like deliberately hold off on other people um, and and seed those categories, right? To 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 push our agenda, right? Right. And we also had a little bit of an end with the 89th, where like the generally the 89th tended to support 20th people and vice versa like if if all things being equal right? yeah kind of as like a the two outsiders yeah, the shared like, experience the yeah. shared experience of being the gsu uh the awards boards and similar mission set and similar kind of like heritage at least within the rpa right our orientation to the rpa community um but yeah it made it made all that shit way harder too so uh we had to be more intentional and better if we wanted to be on the same playing field as them yeah or to try to make up for or yeah and your majors the majors in that squadron uh so they're they're dealing with that awards and deck stuff try and compete for like although, fgo of the quarter and stuff like that yeah although um, you have you open yourself up for the sweet tenant unit awards oh dude so i dude, just, i cleaned those up <laughs> so we could just toss those out like candy because the other tenant units at white men 
uh, were dog shit comparatively. Yes. And like the A10 guys, yeah, but like we could smoke those guys with if we, especially with our ops guys, we could smoke those guys with our, with our, if we well crafted some bullets, put some intentionality behind telling a story with our 1206 and no stuff. No, dog, I won. Uh, yeah, we could just white clean. men tenant unit FGO of the year yeah. two years in a row. So you, could, you could toss around some silverware <laughs> that no one in the MQ9 community cares about. Yeah, but you could toss nobody ar- cares, but you could toss around some silverware and make some people feel good. So I mean, that's maybe a slight. It means positive. it means garbage. That's a slight positive, I guess. But but, it, but do I get to do I get to claim uh, wing level? Yes, award. Yes. You technically you two can. years running, boom. You can, yeah. So you can, nobody cares. You could play those. You could play those games, but yes, yeah. but nobody cares. Yeah, uh, it, it doesn't. They look dick. at it and they go tenant unit. All right, whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, by some magic, so right, so I go and do this RPA LNO thing because I've got to get out of the squadron to gain some more responsibility and you know broaden broadening. Yeah, good riddance. The shitty part about that is that you left. You left when it was getting good. Well, I know. But I had to go into the position yeah. I went to to time. help make it good. Yeah, I know. To pull those band-aids off, to, to punch the pay rock no, in the face. I got you. I got make you. that call sign happen. I got you. Um, anyway. Once and, again, Muff was talking about himself <laughs> in kind of a demure way. So I went and did <laughs> So I went and did four to five months there, right? Just to broaden it. But what is that where does that reflect on my OPR? Yeah, you didn't get B coded, did you? Well, so the, not as the RPA LNO, but all of these. Oh, sorry. All I was, of these I, was things, think, I was thinking of the your later. The next one. LRDO too. And we're, we're getting into it, right? So I went and did this RPA LNO thing. And the, there's one line on my surf that just says that I deployed from this time to that time. Yeah. That's yeah. it. It doesn't say that, you know, I'm briefing the CFAC and it doesn't say that, you know, I'm moving all these airplanes around and there's like two lines on my OPR that yeah. kind of covers some of that stuff. Uh, um, Tink Hammonds, when he was the RPA LNO, I don't think he was the lead LNO. Wasn't he? No, he probably wasn't. not. That's no. normally a major. Yeah. Job. He wasn't the lead LNO, but like he was on shift and led uh, the killing of the number one HVI for the United States. Like the, yeah. the, the HVI of HVIs for us. Um, well, I mean, after Osama bin Laden, everything, everybody else is secondary. Well, the other guy. The, say his name. The ISIS guy, Baghdadi. Oh, yeah, no shit. Yeah, so he nice. like. He That's a like, pretty big guy. Yeah, he courted all of the, the yeah. air power for that. Does his records have anything to Boss. say about that? Yeah, probably not. No. We got him a sweet uh, MQ-9 officer professional. Of the quarter award for it, <laughs> with uh, what? 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 Group. What is that from the group? What is officer professional? Okay, so please office, explain. No, there's not much to explain. I understand the, pilot of the quarter, <laughs> you know, <laughs> flight commander of the quarter. So it's a catch-all. Like, Can we just make more categories? Give everybody a trophy. This is what I. This is what I tried to explain to people. Is like it doesn't have a meaning. It is what we say it is. Right. <laughs> it is whatever. It is whatever we persuade others it, that it is. Yeah. Right. To to and that like at the most raw level. Yeah. Um. What we we tended to try to use it for, um. Like to push people's LNO stuff to try to capture awards for them for, yeah. on the basis of that. Um, although it's not de- delineated, it was not delineated at the time as such. Yeah, it's not for that. It's it, uh, the catch-all. Yeah, like just did something cool that doesn't fit into the other categories is really gotcha. what it is. 
Um, and whatever, whatever you can pony up that sounds cool, that hits the group commander and the other squadron commanders right in the gut. Yeah. That like, oh, this guy did some badass shit, right? Um, you know, because that's the feeling you're really going for. You know, X number doesn't matter, right? What it, none of that really matters. It, they yeah. can because there's an expectation that you have. There's a fetishization of numbers on awards and OPRs to to yeah. quantify impacts, which is valid to a point, right? But it is. Only valuable in so far as it helps you achieve that. Because the the weapons effect that I am always trying to achieve, if I'm writing an OPR or an awards package, is that the the deciding authority, the board authority, when they read this, goes, "Oh yeah, this guy did some cool shit. Like this guy, this is legit, right?" And that and you want that feeling in there, or or an R device package or anything like that. You're trying to get that that feeling that's almost a pre intellectual feeling. You want want them to feel it in their genitals. Yeah, you it's a pre intellectual feeling. It's an emotional effect. Yeah. Right, that this is legit. Right, so we have to use the language and the phrasing and structure everything. To it's got to be clean. You got to like limit the use of acronyms. You got to like, yeah. All, well, there's 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 a lot of uh, you know Hanso, a lot of simple tricks and nonsense to achieving <laughs> that. Right, but and 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 just just good liter liter almost not literary per se, but like a literature mindset. Yeah, of you like got to be cognizant of it. Right? Of creating of creating effects with the writing. Yeah, and like how it's being received. That I am trying to achieve every time I write an awards package, right? So what I would always tell people when I was running the awards index program or as like director of staff or whatever, like we are creating, we are creating that gut feeling for you, for this guy in the, in this group commander. That is what we are doing. And if we can do that and spin it, however the fuck we want to spin it, Right, as long as we create that effect and it passes the sniff test that it's in the category and all that stuff, right? We're not raising red flags or unnecessary questions like, well, "Did that really happen?" Right? Because we don't want them to think that. And if they're having to sit there and doubt the the the, ver- the veracity of our bullets, we're already losing weapons effects, right? Right. We're, we're losing momentum and uh, impul- impulsion there. Yeah. And um, the so for officer professional. We would just, I, I basically just told everyone, I don't really care what it says. It is whatever we persuade the group commander is legit. Yeah. And and I left it at that, basically. In practice, that would meant a lot of L&O stuff. So Tink went and did a lot of cool stuff. Yeah. Um, big, like, Long seriously aside. impactful things, right? Yeah. And he comes out with a officer professional of the quarter. Yeah, right? and we didn't even get him year. We didn't even get him year, which was one that I was... Uh, a little chagrined about, but we yeah. we owed a debt. We we owed a debt to someone else who had done a lot of other stuff that we couldn't award yeah. other ways. And that's, that's so there was a there was a tough balancing act with that. It's also one. part of the game there too, right? Like yeah, there's but, a lot of people doing a lot of very good work yeah. that are deserving of yeah. recognition, and there's not enough awards yeah, to go the, around. The flight doc had been an amazing flight doc for us, uh, Marky, Marky, yeah, and had done a lot of other cool stuff and. Um, it had kind of been pre-decided yeah. that this was how we were going to, uh, with, with that MQ9 officer professional of the, of the year was like how we were going to like codify all of the contributions, all of the legitimate contributions that she had made that uh, kind of above and beyond what she yeah. had to do. Um, and unfortunately Tink was on the short end of the stick for that one. And Sorry, Tink. 
I felt really bad about that, to be honest. But um, there's a few that I kind of feel bad about still. Or like, you know, uh, if if I had my druthers yeah. and like more options, I would have really gone out of my way to make some shit happen. But um, yeah, he got a quarterly award. Well, <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile, a group, uh, a group quarterly award. Yeah. I come back from my deployment as the LNO and. I probably got a, I don't know, some quarterly award or, I don't know. Well, you're getting the FGO awards like candy because yeah. we didn't Oh, have, because we, we had like four many. of them. Well, and the, other guys, <laughs> and the other guys were shift leads and they couldn't, yeah. they couldn't and you were kind of doing things beyond what they were doing with the shift lead, but you were, yeah. you were taking all the oxygen out of the room. No, that's unfortunate. With respect to that, right? Well, yeah. or, or just by your skill set, right? Yeah. But, uh, which just goes to your point that like there wasn't a lot of, uh, maneuvering space. The moa, the moa was not very big. <laughs> no, no, it was tiny. Yeah. Right. So after the LNO thing, I came back to to Wyman and I basically went back to shift work for a while. I, no, no, that's not true. I stayed above the line, and I was the. I continued to be the chief of Stanieval. So I was the chief of Stanieval in like November of 2017, and then January 2018, I deployed for four four to five months, and my assistant. Uh, Chief of Stanaval basically ran the shop. Let's be real. Jim Brewer ran that shop, the civilian. Yeah. <laughs> and awesome. the, the, the random major or captain yeah, happened to a, be in there. An interesting cat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, like, I'm still doing Stanaval stuff on deployed. And Sparrow, Sparrow took over after you. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And uh, so then I kind of became like a weird above the line, like, kind of line dog. Yeah, for like a bit, and it was, it was kind of weird. And then it was, I was asked, "Hey, they're looking for LRDOs because, you know, we split the community in two, MC and LRE, and we set up the four eighty ninth uh, there at Creech. It was supposed to be the LR squadron, and they're going to man all the LREs. And as that turns out, no, that's not how that works because they." didn't have enough experience and they didn't have enough people to send down range to like do things. So they're constantly like pulling people from some of these other squadrons. And, uh, I was asked if I wanted to go be a DO. Yeah. Sounds awesome. And so I was like, listen, I do not want to go to Siganella. I don't want to go to any of the other little tiny spots that we have. Right. If I'm going to go do this job and be away from my family for six months, not to mention the three months of uh, LR qual training, run around in Vegas like a hooligan, um, you better send me to the business. Mm-hmm. Like, you better send me to the thing where, where everything is happening and it's, I want the biggest shit. Yeah. And uh, I think their intention was to send me to one of the smaller locations, but uh, the commander at the time was steve-o and colonel pine yeah and he like honestly i know he wasn't like the world's favorite commander i didn't really have a lot of issues with him i didn't have any issues with him and in a number of areas he lobbied for me pretty well uh i'm quite pleased with that um and one of those areas was he got me to go to Afghanistan. Yeah, what have you done for me lately? Well, quite a bit, actually. <laughs> quite a so, bit, actually. So, okay, so I, we went, go. <laughs> I, w- I went to Afghanistan. Yeah. Um, and I was the DO of the LRE there. Yeah. They had 24 airplanes. Yeah. They had, I want to say, 
40 personnel or so to include contractors and Intel and you're, you weren't, it was contract maintenance, but you were kind of their belly button for everything. Right. And they had this whole, like we're pumping out 16 airplanes a day uh, at the time with 24 aircraft. Um, not like the world's greatest ratio for like maintenance concerns and stuff like that. And dude, we're putting fucking whoop ass on people all day, every day, or at least we're enabling that portion of it. Right. Um, yeah. And meanwhile, you're enabling all the hounds. I'm, yes. Enabling all of them. Uh, yeah. meanwhile, Iran and Pakistan are providing rockets to the, you know, the locals that live off base. You know, just outside the wire and yeah. paying them some money to, to launch them at me and my friends. You know what I mean? Uh, meanwhile, Iran is testing missiles and there's quadcopters zooming up and down the ramps. And, you know, I'm running around with a gun and like I've like there were concerns that people got in the wire and they're like actually telling people to go out to these uh, battle positions outside of wherever you are. Right. And be ready to shoot anybody. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like kind of all awesome, of this is like a terrifying way. Dude, but. it's. It's both. It yeah. is awesome and it's terrifying. You get used to the rocket attacks and you're just like, whatever, not a big deal. You get, you know, my Lord and Savior C Ram uh, just down the street. He's going to take care of anything that might get me. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, in the in the things they carried by Tim O'Brien, which maybe many of you have read, like high school or it's like military reading. It's about the Vietnam War. Uh, and it's largely kind of like an anti-war book, but he does talk about in one of the chapters, one of my favorite sections that. Um, like after a firefight, like everything is more alive. Like the grass is greener. The oh, sky yeah. is a deeper midnight blue than he had ever imagined. Uh, and when you're close to death, you're closer to life than, than he had ever imagined to be yeah, possible. It's nice. And, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it's then, you know, it goes back to the, there's a Plato thing about, you know, the, the man dying of thirst has never tasted water so sweet. Yeah. Yeah, so. absolutely. Or the, uh, Eddie Murphy line. If you're starving and someone give you a cracker, mm, this is the best damn cracker I ever had. Okay. Uh, in reference to women withholding sex is really yeah. what that joke was about. Okay. <laughs> um, same premise, right? Yeah. Um, so I was... Uh, so I went high. <clears throat> uh, muck went low. Yeah. yeah. You know, we got Sorry. both sides. You know, varying people listening to this podcast. Um, so I was at Kandahar... So when we took out uh, Soleimani, right? That was a big deal. Like, we're yeah. plugging, like, the yeah. general uh, yeah. of Iran. And Iran lost their shit, right? And over the next, like, couple days, one of those days, they did a test launch of a rocket or of a missile. Yeah, you told me about this, yeah. And that was honestly the closest that, like, I have felt. So somebody, some dude at the Base Defense Ops Center uh, saw that go up. Somewhere and he hit some button at his desk and it caused all the big voices on base to say missile inbound. Oh shit. <laughs> yeah. And when you get wake your, up get your heart pounding. Dude, when you when that is what wakes you up, your your heart is pounding, you're like, Am I about to die? Meanwhile, I'm also the acting squadron commander because this the actual LRE commander is back in the States for two weeks of R and R, hanging out, having a good old time, and I've got like Paige Muldoon. You remember her? Intel, 20th. No. Um, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Lovely girl. Um, senior Airman, Paige Muldoon, I think. 
Oh, um, yes. Yes, I do. She, her, she, her name changed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she got married. Yeah. Um, no, yes, I remember now. But she, she was at the squadron with me, and she had been told this is going to be like a cool assignment and this and that. She's actually freaking out. Like, I'm having to like cajole people to like, I'm telling you, you're going to be okay. Look at me in the eyes. You're going to be okay. Put on your armor. Get in that fucking bunker. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, like, that's some high-level shit. Um, when you think this missile is inbound and there's, it's going to blow up some shit. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, the next day, uh, they launched missiles into Iraq. Yeah. Right? And actually blew up some stuff that, you know, kind of destroyed a uh, contract LRE building. And it... It's scary. Like, yeah. it, it, I don't know if you saw the video of those weapons nope. impacting in Iraq. Because uh, it was like an MC-12 or something overhead the field watching that. Um, and you can see them just whoosh, hammering on the airfield. How does any of that reflect on my OPRs or my surf? DO of a combat squadron taking live rounds from enemy just outside the wire... You know, and also dealing with the fact that I might get blown up by Iran. Well, and not just that, but you also did a pretty damn good job down there, right? Like As, as like far as, as I could tell. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. As far as, like, running the LA. Things were well. We didn't crash anything. Most yeah. everything went on time. The You know, when days when... When you're pretty involved in the, the operations. Yeah, all day, every day. Dude, it was 10, 12-hour days every day. Yeah. And, and you, I, Did you get a B code out of I it? I loved it. No B code. Means fuck all. Yeah, it absolutely might as well nothing. A, might as well have just been an LNO deployment. Correct. And now, like, like for some reason, we think that people need to be lieutenant colonels to be actual real DOs, to be boarded and stuff like that. And it's not real. You don't have to be. The F-16s right now are full of majors doing DO jobs. Yeah. Because they don't have anybody. Yeah. Like, <laughs> their Their retention is almost as bad as... Is ours, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because um, everybody's punching to go to guard units and reserve units, or go to the airlines or whatever. Um, and the take rate on the pilot bonus is terrible. Yeah. So clearly, you don't have to be a lieutenant colonel to be a DO. Um, and this is the problem with the GSU. Like you go, and even when you chase like some of these larger experiential things, and like gain leadership opportunities and things like that, it doesn't ref- it doesn't fucking reflect anywhere. You better hope that, like, the guy, your group commander at the time, if you're deploying from a squadron, like, has the cojones to take that into account at the right time. Yeah. To do something for you. Yeah. You would probably been better, sir, like, in terms of career, right? Like, uh, going to, like, a wing DS or... Correct. Or, or like a wing exec job. Correct. Like FaceTime with the boss and the rank of your supervisor. Yeah. And the per- the second person is signing like uh, your OPR, right? So it's you, it's your raider and your senior raider. The, the rank of those two people. Is, I don't have, like I said, I don't have any hard data on this, but I think those are probably more indicative of your chance of promotion than anything else that you actually do because those things are used as proxy. Now, to be fair to uh, Q and to uh, Colonel Norton, 
25th Attack Group Commander. Somehow, I spent nine months of that year, of not 2019, yeah. either doing LR qual training or being deployed. But I still won 25th Attack Group FGO of the year. Yes, I know you did. Like, and I, and I chuckled to myself, like, and you cool, were I wasn't side, even around. <laughs> and you were the side John nominee. Yeah. Yeah, and, and a lot of that has to do with, you know, the the work of the 20th and, you know, some of the things that, you know, they can, you know, you guys were able to pull off while I was deployed. You know what I mean? Meanwhile, I'm not even at the 20th. I'm not working in the 25th attack group. I'm chopped change of opcon, change of operational control, right, over to uh, a completely different essentially magcom right i mean centcom and then there's you know the wing and the the group underneath that that, yeah. that i was chopped to but and then there's some other stories following that win that like has me running in with a or running with an 06 that i'm not too well pleased with but uh we'll save that for another time maybe um but nevertheless i was gone Won that thing, and nobody cares. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I still showed up here to to Holloman, and if you're like, "Who are you?" Like, what do you mean? Who am I? I used to be an evaluator in this squadron. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like, so GSUs are a weird, a weird thing mm-hmm. when you are a senior captain, junior major. It's great to be probably a DO. At one of those places, it's good to be a flight commander at a GSU. It's good to be a shop chief at a GSU, and it's good to be a commander. But if you're anywhere in between, you're just kind of out on no man's land, doing whatever you can to gain some attention, some recognition. Uh, and even when you do, like when you go go to your board, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm not like the world's biggest fan of GSUs. I think they have. So should we? Should they? Should they continue or not? Uh, if you could wave your wand. I so as a wave my wand. Boom. No GSUs. Not good for anybody. Long term, you can still get kind of that uh, the plucky underdog doing your own thing spirit right and that and i think a lot of that is contingent upon the strength of the commander and the personality of the commander so I, I you'll be able to pull that off in like even yeah. with more immediate oversight that's what i was saying earlier like i think a lot of that was primarily contingent on the people like yeah. the commanders and then then the the actual members um was the was the primary contributing factor but i think there was like a little bit of additive uh, a factor with that, but it was definitely smaller. Sure, for, for particularly for all the line dogs and the flight commanders and stuff who are not seeing the, you know, the chief, you know, the group chief and the group commander wandering through, and then the, every now and then the wing commander pony show going on, and yeah, much more rare, right? Um, no, and the and the DOs aren't having to go to this face to face meeting with, you know, the group commander and you know, have these, have these chit chats. So it, it definitely opens the door to a bit more inventiveness and dare I say innovation yeah. um, when you're kind of out on the Island. 
because innovation happens at the edges and you can't be more at the edge of an organization than to be at a GSU. Yeah, I think because uh, your your stuff's not going to be questioned or as or get squashed right as quickly by lead, by by your upper echelons. Yeah, right where they're going to be asking questions about it. like you can kind of just do it and see what happens, and if it's not working, all right, we option select out of it. Yeah, um, and then back to what we were doing, or or we keep doing it right, and then we tell the group commander about it, right? Um, so, I don't know. Actually, I might revise it. I might say, like, I'm kind of inclined. I mean, I have such a... It's hard for me to separate out my personal positive feelings for the 20th as a whole and, like, my experience as a new combat aviator yeah. associated with that. Uh, it's, it's, it is kind of inextricably bound up with kind of that isolated feeling like in the or salt solitude if one would yeah of uh and the camaraderie of kind of being on a small forgotten group by the larger base right and yep. and but with a sense but still with a sense of pride that was strengthened by all that um i mean i, I think it'd be terrible <laughs> or not terrible but uh would make me sad if the if gsus went away like for that reason, but that might be just an entirely romantic and personalized interpretation. Sure. um, I think there is a little bit of value. And I do think federalism, qua federalism, is a, like as you quoted Hamilton earlier, um, is the way, actually. Yeah. Um, And having... uh, 50 small experiments in democracy. Yeah, having... Or more for small experiments and how to run a squadron yeah and having those uh, affect affections and passions for something that you truly own that is not abstracted into upper stuff where it's like clearly i don't own this right right um and that it's that it's yours and that we have a little more freedom to kind of do what we want at least subjectively if not objectively right because i I think, like you said, you could still technically do all this stuff at Shaw or Creech, right? But it would be harder. It would feel different, right? I, I think. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I actually think maybe more, more like it maybe make everybody a GSU and <laughs> just one extreme or the other. Yeah, but or but it, I think it would be. I think it's good to have these little, these little. Uh, I think federalism in general and letting local local affections and local practices uh, spawn good or ill is good, is good and both 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 in the Air Force to the max extent possible and, yeah. and otherwise. So it's hard for me to argue against GSUs on that alone. Although uh, I was able to basically leave the squadron, you know, without having to languish too long. Yeah in that in that ground right and and holloman there's a lot more options for me so i didn't really get to experience the the pain of all that but yeah i actually warded off a couple of people who were can like interested in going yeah i was like listen man based on their rank you're a senior time. senior captain yeah i'm not saying don't come here it's a good spot it's a lot of good like freedom to kind of maneuver and do stuff squadron level wise but if you have ambitions above that I I would I would bet my next paycheck that you'll have more success at Shaw. Yeah. If you can get there. 
to get in, you know, face to face with the group commander. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I have a, there's a certain amount of warmness towards the GSU concept. Uh, but I, if I'm being, if I'm being charitable or cognizant, I have to recognize that it might just be kind of romanticized and that I didn't have, I don't have a fair picture because I didn't have, I didn't personally experience. No, the, you experienced the other side of I, it. I right? didn't personally, I experienced all the, for the most part, the positives. Yeah. Um, and didn't have to take the bitter, the jagged bitter pill. Generally, a positive place for lieutenants and young captains to kind of come up in a yeah a and little then, more plucky and atmosphere. Then, and then I was kind of doing the major front, major type front office stuff, like as yeah. a captain. So that felt good too. Yeah, but yeah, I wasn't a captain or a, a major languishing for a position right that, you know so right so yeah there's pros and cons to to doing it my personal opinion is that we have a structure that exists for a reason this the air force despite despite all of our efforts to be like no none of this matters every it's all like we try and like bureauc- bureaucratize this whole thing and the human element is still number one. Yeah. It's the most important. It's the most important thing because it's an organization of human beings doing, you know, participating in human conflict, right? So it's no surprise that human nature kind of rules supreme. And as much as we want to like prefrontal cortex, this stuff, uh, put it up at the front of our brains, like it's still the lizard creatures. Yeah, it's the lizard brain at the back of our back of our nugget. Uh, is that a George Carlin reference? I like that. I don't know. Is it? Yeah, he has a bit uh, where he says, uh, "You know, we've got the the human brain, the mammalian brain, or the we've got the primate brain, the mammalian brain, yeah. and the reptilian brain, ah. um, and they're all in layers." So the, the the primate brain says, "Let's go to the peace rally." And everyone's like, "Yay!" <laughs> the the mammalian brain says. Let's go to the peace rally, but first let's kill this motherfucker. <laughs> and the lizard braid says, uh, let's go to the peace rally, and, uh, kill this motherfucker, and then let's get laid afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's probably where I picked it up. Much like yeah. you're uh, plowing ahead, you may have stolen from Bill Burr. Um, plowing ahead. Uh, <laughs> They're, they're, you're, the Air Force is a human organization run by humans, managed by humans who are always looking for shortcuts and proxies for everything else, right? Like no one's going to read, you know, spend 30 minutes at a promotion board uh, or even an awards board to like really nut down like what, who you are, like whether you are s- good for the Air Force or a, not. It's a snap judgment. Correct. With a bunch of heuristics and indicators etc yeah yeah a lot and that's where like you know the halo effect starts to come from and every, and everybody recognizes it so much so that there are some o6s that p- mention their you know explicit like desire to squash the halo effect yeah. you know in their like in their policy memos and stuff now are they gonna be able to get away from that uh, i don't know they're still human beings yeah. you know what i mean might be a feckin topic for another day a what topic? Second. 
A word I'm unfamiliar with. Good. <laughs> um, let's let's use another one. What, what what's another word? Uh, fruitful. Fruitful. Okay. Yeah, fruitful topic for another. Might, might be a fruitful topic another for subject. another day. Right. And I'm sure we'll get to talking about that. And uh, yeah, I guess that's my opinion about Jesus shoes. Yeah. Yours? About I already, same. I already yeah. said it. I think, uh, like, ob- objectively, I'd have to agree with you. But, uh, like, from a personal romantic point of view, it's hard for me to, at the end of the day, to say that we should get rid of something that brought me so much, like, joy yeah, yeah. And, and personal meaning. Um to like to to turn to turn the co- to turn to be a turncoat for um, <laughs> ag- against a concept that uh that in my own experience worked well and, and that I uh, personally enjoyed the hell out of so yeah. I, I feel a certain amount of like not I should trust my trust my emotions in yeah. that respect and not just go f- go full frontal lobe in that case so so should we um, pack them up and move them to Shaw. I think I think no more, but leave them where they are. Should the twenty fifth attack group, which is its own GSU, <laughs> right <laughs> from the four thirty second wing, uh, should they move? Should they establish another RPA wing? They they wanted to, right? And then some tornado said or hurricane said, "Nope, not happening. We're gonna run over yeah. your base." I uh, I almost ended up working on base Y, which I'm glad I didn't. Um, no, <laughs> but the, um, it would have been great all right up to that point. Been a lot of work for nothing. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I think they wanted to like make like scrap Tyndall. I think that was kind of the mash, the machinations was to scrap Tyndall and uh, what is a base entirely no, or as the location for base Y gotcha. And then just make Shaw a wing. Sure. Um, you can have two wings at a base. Yeah. That was the what I would have been working on, but I don't think that's happening either. I mean, maybe it is. I don't know. Um, you know, I don't know. I, to be honest, I don't really care. The Maybe I will. <laughs> maybe well, I will. at this point, you don't but care. The, you're, uh, you're in a wing that's, you know, integrated. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my eyes, my hopes for things, you know. Yeah. Are, my hopes are still open. Um, I don't know. I don't think the group has as much of a problem. With that kind of stuff. Yeah. But I think squadrons with line majors are a problem. So I, I think you could leave the group where it is and, and Rolex the squadrons and or roll the squadrons up into them, into gotcha. that if you needed to. So um, just one level of uh, abstraction or remoteness. Yeah, but like two is excessive, right? And, and Maybe. I and I don't think by the time you get to the group level, like the people that, right, have group jobs but need wing jobs that's so small yeah and like you can you can point to point those conversations and, and yeah. transfer those people but there's still the the net is wide enough for at the squadron level that people get lost in the shuffle or it just becomes hard yeah uh interesting takes i don't think it's the right answer i think the air force got roped into it with the advent yeah. of Global Strike and now ACC, and they don't really know what to do, and it's going to be too costly. It's probably bad. Like, it, like if you could just wave your hand at it for no cost, yeah, you probably need to get rid of the the GSU squadrons. Yeah, but like I said, I, I I can't bring that to a 
I can't say that with a stentorian tone, knowing how I feel about the 20th and like that I, that it wouldn't have been as special if it was not that way. Well, these are the waters that, you know, the air force swims in and is like budget is always. Yeah. If I was a budget dude dislocated from my, uh, dislocated from my personal experience and just looking at the, the X's and the O's and the Jimmy's and the Joe's, I would, uh, yeah, I would, I would roll up, I would roll, roll up the G, the, the squadrons at least. No, though, that's my point. The 20th and the 89th are stuck where they are because it's too expensive to move them. Oh, uh, yeah. Right. So it's easier to just keep all those people in place because otherwise you're PCSing a whole bunch of equipment, you're PCSing a whole bunch of people, you're, sh- you know, doing handing over buildings to different organizations and you're having to like, Shaw doesn't have buildings to put yeah. these squadrons in right and remember like these, yeah and there's like a bunch of a bunch of senior captains rolled in there right as i was pcsing out i'm like what are you gonna do be an ado for three years yeah yeah it sucks um remember the 50th stood up in tents <laughs> because they moved forward on standing up those additional squadrons before they had like the underpinnings ready so i think the 89th and the 20th and our gsus in general are just kind of stranded and we sell it as this good thing. It's like, oh, remote airplanes, like we can be anywhere. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, well, like, yeah, because I, I don't care. I don't care at all about the location, like, argument and yeah. like, being by the trees versus the desert. I give zero fucks about that. But it's and, all that. And so if it's your all other Faguzi, Fagazi mustard shit that I'm talking about. <laughs> and if your squadrons were great and people like, enjoyed the squadron commanders and it was like morale and you could see that you're like hitting all these you're doing real work you know what i mean and it's not just this grind that's never ending and there's no light at the end of the tunnel then location is going to matter less and less and less when all of those things go away and you're like there is no light at the end of this tunnel and i'm just grinding it out here Doing my job to the best that I can, and I'm getting zero. Fecund. 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 Is that the word? F-E-K-U-N-D? Fecund. Yeah, fecund. That's not, that's, a co- that's a robot voice talking about it. <laughs> All right, I, th- I think this is, this is the end. <laughs> Yogi, it's been a, it's been a, it's been a good, it's been a good almost two hours. Uh, I'll leave it to you to take us out. All right, see ya. They'll be happy to know that as you saw me go, I was singing this song. We meet again. Don't know where. I know